Lord, we worship you, we bless you. Lord, even in the midst of knowing that one day our time will come, uh, the end will draw near, our strength will fail, and we will face death. And Lord, we even sing today in faith, in the knowledge, as Paul said, Lord, death, where is your sting? Because Jesus Christ, a human being, was dead and is alive, that death has been defeated, the King is alive. And we give you thanks, Lord, that we can sing in faith and we can prophesy even about the future of our own lives because we believe that Jesus Christ was dead and is alive and will live forevermore. And those who are in Christ will be raised not only to live with him, but to reign with him in the world to come. And we declare, hallelujah, Lord, that you are alive, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please have a seat. Thank you much indeed, guys. I forgot to give the announcements, I realized, so maybe we should do those now. And uh, first of all, to say a massive thank you to all who were involved in making last night happen. We had a fantastic Christmas dinner and talent show last night. And uh, we have a team there of uh, fantastic kitchen and uh, well, well done to Pauline and the team for last night, brilliant night. Also really encouraging to me because I realized my jokes aren't that bad after all. So I, I'm, I'm really buoyed up today and uh, really encouraged. We have a, um, a talent show again. We have a nine lessons and carols tonight, seven o'clock. Uh, the choir put a lot of work into this and our choir has doubled in size practically for the season. And uh, so come along tonight at seven o'clock, nine lessons and carols. It's a wonderful atmospheric service. And we're also going to hear from uh, Fran McKechnie just before the service about how God has changed her life. Uh, in recent months. So looking forward to that. Next Sunday then at half 11, we have our Christingle service. There'll be a lovely smell of orange juice and candles in the air as we, as we make and light our Christingles this time next week. And then next Sunday evening at 22nd, we'll also have our contemporary carol service as well. Uh, so looking forward to all those. And then we also have our Alpha course, might be the next slide, which is beginning on the 2nd of February. Sunday evening, seven o'clock in the evening, and it's going to be again up in the Toscana Retail Park in Ground Espresso. So if you've never done the Alpha course, I'd really, really encourage you uh, to think about doing that or to invite friends and family to come along to that Alpha course. So while, while we're on that, um, the, uh, I was reading just during the week there about a lady called, uh, a Hungarian lady called Ildiku Pap who uh, a number of years ago, Nicky Gumbel, the author of the Alpha Course, was interviewing uh, because 18 months before that interview, she had been homeless on the streets of a town near Budapest and she was addicted to alcohol. And uh, someone invited her to go on the Alpha Course. She gave her life to Christ. She experienced God's love and she was freed from her addiction to alcohol. And so 18 months after that invitation, uh, she's being interviewed by Nikki Gumbel. And Nikki asked her, what difference has Jesus Christ made to your life? And Dildiko replied, he has turned me from a beggar into a princess. He had utterly transformed her life. And that's what Jesus Christ does. He utterly transforms lives. When we meet him and the love of the Father through Jesus Christ, transformation happens. And our identity is restored 
not only as those who are creatures of God, created by God, but those who are actually children of God, and that we have a Father in heaven who loves us and cherishes us and is making all things new for us by creating a new heaven and a new earth in the age that is to come. He is making everything well. And uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful account of, of that transformation that happens and, uh, and how God answers prayer. This morning, the reading that we had there um, from Luke, uh, the early chapters of Luke, uh, I've been reading this week and, and found really, really challenging. And um, it's said often that the, ch- the Christmas is for children. Um, but actually, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that Christmas is for everybody, including children, but actually it's especially for the poor. If the Bible says anything about Christmas in terms of who it primarily is for, yes, it's for everybody, but what Luke wants to tell us in his gospel is it's especially for the poor. It's especially for the downtrodden. It's especially for those who haven't tasted justice for a long time. And so in this opening chapter of Luke, the readers would have been surprised because there were two characters that appeared that they wouldn't have expected to appear in, in a writing which was trying to convey such an important message. And the two characters that are at the heart of this first chapter of Luke's gospel are, are surprising in the fact that they're there for three reasons. Because they're women, because they're Jewish, and because they're poor. And in the ancient writings, people like that didn't tend to appear in anything that was an important writing. At that time, writings tend to be about kings. Kings sponsored authors to write good PR about themselves. The people who appeared at the start of a really important message didn't tend to be people like Elizabeth or Mary, poor Jewish woman. And so Mary hears this wonderful message from Gabriel, the messenger of God, who comes and tells Mary this wonderful news that she is going to give birth to a child who is going to be the king of Israel forever. He's going to establish God's kingdom on earth forever. In fact, this person is going to be the son of God. And Mary says, how is this going to be since I'm a virgin? And, And Gabriel tells her how it's going to happen. And then... Because Mary believes the message and God still wants to encourage her on this difficult road she's going to go on, the angel Gabriel says, and to give you a sign, your elderly relative Elizabeth, who was said to be barren and unable to have children, is actually going to be, is actually now pregnant. She's in the sixth month of her pregnancy. So it's no wonder Mary hears this earth-shattering message that is going to change the world and is going to utterly transform her life, that she packs up her stuff as quickly as possible and she heads off to the hill town where Elizabeth and Zachariah live. Why? Yes, because she probably wants to say congratulations and share in Zachariah and Elizabeth's joy, but also the fact of as she's approaching the village, I'm wondering if she's thinking, If Elizabeth is pregnant, then what has just been told to me is true. This is a sign to Mary that miracles happen. And and Elizabeth is in the sixth month. 
when things are perhaps just beginning to show. And as she arrives, I wonder, does she see the bump or does she just greet Mary, Elizabeth? And Elizabeth then proclaims, blessed are you, Mary, because you have believed what the Lord has said to you. And blessed is the child that you will bear, because as soon as you greeted me, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And I'm sure as Mary heard those words, her heart leapt for joy, because it was the confirmation that what the strange message that had been given to her was actually true. That the elderly relative Elizabeth was pregnant, and she, the teenage girl who was a virgin, was also pregnant. And so there's this wonderful song then that Mary sings. It's a song of revolution because Mary and Elizabeth were both, in a way they were both firebrands. They were, they were women who, a bit like Hannah in the Old Testament, whenever Hannah's prayer that had been a prayer over decades that she would become a mother. And again and again, she was mocked by the other wife of her husband for not having children. And again and again, she prayed that God would bless her with children. And it happened year after year after year. And then finally, a son came. And she called him Samuel because the name Samuel in Hebrew sounds like heard by God because Hannah realized that God had answered her prayer. And amazingly, Hannah's song is a song not about giving thanks to God for the birth of a child. It's a, it's a prayer of revolution. And interestingly, Mary's song has really strong echoes of Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 2. In fact, it, it's a bit of a rerun of Hannah's prayer. And Elizabeth and Mary were women who would have been soaked in the Psalms and the, and the prophets and the scriptures because virtually every verse of Mary's song is a verse from the Old Testament. Mary and Elizabeth knew the scriptures inside out. And not only did they know them, I imagine they were constantly praying them. They were constantly declaring them. And so by the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit st stirs within them, they, Mary has this song. But listen to some of Hannah's song from 1 Samuel chapter 2. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. In other words, he will give strength to his anointed. And borrowing on that prayer of Hannah, Mary declares her song. And it's wonderful how Luke, he 
he parallels John the Baptist. He parallels Samuel with John the Baptist, and he parallels Samuel with Jesus. So listen to how the writer of First Samuel summarizes the childhood of Samuel, the boy who will become the prophet. This is 1 Samuel 2, 26. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. Now listen to how Luke summarizes the childhood of Jesus. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. It's virtually a carbon copy. In other words, what Luke is saying is, just as Samuel was a prophet, so will John be a prophet. Just as Samuel was the prophet of Israel, so Jesus will be the prophet. And what do prophets do? They declare the goodness of God. They declare the victory of God. They declare the kingship of God. And they declare it in the here and now. One of the reasons why it's so powerful for us to pray and to worship and to prophesy is that it actually makes God's kingdom come in the here and now. That when we declare praise or prophecy or prayer, it actually brings God's kingdom in. It's like tarmacking the road for God's kingdom to come in. The influence of Mary and Elizabeth in the lives of their children cannot be underestimated. Why? Because even when they were unborn, Mary and Elizabeth prophesied over them by the power of the Holy Spirit. When do we start praying for our children? Whenever they're conceived. When do we start prophesying over our children? Every day after they're conceived. Do we want the kingdom of God to come in their lives? Do we want his desire to unfold in their lives? Then prophesy and pray over your child from the moment of conception. Pray, if they're to be married, pray for their marriage partner from the moment of conception. If you want the kingdom of God to come in their lives, that's what Mary and Elizabeth show us that we need to do. It tarmacks the road for the kingdom of God coming in the lives of our children, in the lives of our grandchildren, in our nieces and nephews, in the children of this church. It tarmacks the road to the kingdom of God. Elizabeth and Mary were women who shared the ancient dream of Israel that all the prophets had said would come true that God would come and walk among his people and the kingdom of God would come, that the descendants of Abraham would be a blessing to the entire world. And so Mary is amazed that in her humble estate as a teenager, a woman impoverished under the threat of Herod, so-called the Great, and the Roman Empire, that she is told by an angelic messenger that now is the time for God's kingdom to come on earth. And it's going to come in and through her. That the Son of God is to be conceived and to be born through her. And so she declares this wonderful song that sounds so much like Hannah's prayer. And she says, and every verse is about what he is going to do. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. 
He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich empty away. Is it any wonder that when Jesus, 30 years later, stands up in the synagogue and the prophet Isaiah is read, that this is the first time that Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, feels moved to speak to the congregation in the synagogue? The Spirit of the Lord is on me, said Jesus, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And perhaps the most challenging outworking of this, and yet the most comforting in Luke chapter 6, where Jesus delivers blessings and woes, and he says, after he's healed many people who are troubled and sick, he looks at his disciples and he says, there's blessing coming. There's blessing coming for those who are poor, who are hungry, who are brokenhearted and persecuted. There is blessing coming. And there are woes coming. There are woes coming to those who are rich, to those who are well-fed, to those who are content, and to those who are popular. Jesus says, there is woe coming. The Christmas carol declares, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. The Christmas message is this, joy is for everyone. The Savior is for everyone. Christmas is for everyone. And Luke wants to tell us, as Jesus said, and especially for those who are poor. As I've read these first chapters of Luke's gospel over these last few days, I felt both comforted and I felt very discomforted as well. See, I think how the message of Christmas, the, the message of Jesus, the song of Mary and the proclamation of Elizabeth and the prayer of Hannah, the comfort in it all is this that all of us as human beings face poverty at some point in our lives. It might be physical poverty, it might be food poverty, it might be financial poverty, it might be emotional, it might be spiritual, it might be experienced through our sinfulness or our selfishness, or it might be through sickness or loneliness or loss, it might be through doubt or debt, all of us at some point, or perhaps on a frequent basis, will experience poverty. And all of us will definitely experience poverty because there will come in a moment, as we were singing earlier on, there will come in a moment in every one of our lives when we will face an opposition, an enemy, that none of us by ourselves can overcome. Death, the great leveler. Every single one of us will come to a place where we will know that we have come into the world empty-handed and we will leave the world empty-handed. All of us are utterly impoverished when we stand before death because we have no power over death of ourselves. But Jesus Christ has defeated death and the King is alive. Hallelujah.
Jesus Christ was dead and he is alive again. And the center and core of our faith is this. Death has been defeated and the king is alive. And the king will live forevermore. And because he lives, those who are in Christ, those who are baptized into Christ, those who are alive in Christ, who have the Holy Spirit in them, will live with Christ. And not only live with Christ, they will reign with Christ in a new heaven and a new earth. And the reason why we pray the Lord's Prayer is because we pray, Lord, the world that is to come, the kingdom that is to come, the kingdom of heaven, bring it into the here and now. Bring it into now. Jesus, may your will be done here and now. That's why Jesus came. He came to bring the kingdom which has no death, it has no tears, it has no sickness, it has no sin, it has no brokenness. And we pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Then what's the first part of the prayer? Your kingdom come, your will be done. The very first thing Jesus taught us to pray as his disciples is to call out for the kingdom of heaven to come on earth in the midst of our brokenness in the here and now that we even will overcome death by the power of Jesus Christ. That's why there's joy to the world. Because the story of Jesus isn't just the Christmas message. It's the Easter message as well. And it's also the message of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit comes to live inside us. And He is the deposit. He is the guarantee. When we feel and sense the Holy Spirit bubbling up within us, when we sense the closeness of God, when we sense the love of Jesus Christ for us, and that happens when we worship and pray and walk moment by moment and day by day, the Lord is saying to us afresh, you will overcome death. The Holy Spirit is showing you whatever our name. I have overcome death in you. Death has no sting in your life anymore because Jesus Christ has overcome it. So the message of Christmas, the message of the Gospel of Luke particularly, is a wonderful message of comfort because every one of us know and will know what need looks like. But I've also found it extremely challenging. Because Jesus says in Luke chapter 6 that those who are wealthy and those who are well-fed and those who are content and those who are respected, there is woe coming to you. Why is there woe coming? Because Jesus Christ was born. And as someone who is wealthy and someone who is well-fed and someone who is content and someone who, by and large, is respected, the words of Jesus are very challenging. But I don't think they're just challenging to me. I think they're challenging to every single one of us. We are perhaps one of the wealthiest group of people who has ever walked the face of the earth since human beings walked this earth. You and I are among the wealthiest people in the whole history of human beings. And Jesus says, woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are well-fed. Woe to you who are content. 
and woe to you who are well thought of and popular. Christmas brings us a profound challenge that we who have so much to offer The challenge that I have sensed God saying to me over these last few days is this. Jesus saying to me, Nigel, I am good news to the poor. Are you good news to the poor? Is Bangor Parish good news to the poor? I've been encouraged in so many ways. I'm, I'm encouraged by the fact that our global mission is developing. I'm encouraged by the fact that we're, we're sending a team to northern Argentina, to the, the jungle area, northern Argentina in July. I'm really encouraged. I'm really encouraged to see how the HOTS team is developing in compassion ministry. But I'm also really challenged because I think there's so much more we could do. And the question I've been trying to answer for myself and also for us as a church is this. How many people this Christmas who are in poverty globally and locally are thanking God for Nigel Parker or who are thanking God for you or thanking God for us as a church? They may not know our name. They may not recognize our face. They may do. But the challenge, I think, for each one of us is this. The challenge that Luke is laying down to us in the very, from the very start of his gospel is this, is that Christmas is particularly for those who are poor. And Jesus Christ is good news to the poor. And the question for us is, am I? Are we good news to those who are poor? Are there people out there today who are giving thanks for us today? In the midst of our wealth and well-fedness and comfort, are there people out there today who are thanking God for us? Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Joy to the world. The Savior reigns. And today we join our voices with that song. And we receive the comfort of Jesus Christ that he came and lived and died and rose for every single one of us. And yet by his spirit, I believe he challenges every one of us today. And I also want to, I just want to encourage us about how powerful we actually are to affect change and transformation in this world. You see, the education and the resources and the connections and the wealth that we have is extremely powerful. There is so much good that we can do. There is so much change that we can bring. We shouldn't underestimate everything that God has placed into our hands. And I also want to encourage us and I want to challenge us about the generations that are to come and the generations that are already here and our influence on them whether it's children or grandchildren or nieces and nephews or children in this community or in this country or in this church. 
we can have a very profound effect on the course of their lives. And perhaps this morning as we as we continue to worship, perhaps as you want to come to the prayer team, perhaps you want to, to come on behalf of a child or a grandchild or a niece or a nephew or whatever and ask the prayer team to prophesy over you and to pray for you. Perhaps as a son or a daughter and you just watch as their lives seem to move further and further away from God and their life seems broken. And perhaps this morning the Lord wants to encourage you to have others prophesy over that child with you or over that grandchild with you and to stand with you and to know that whenever we prophesy over a child, whether unborn or born, whether whether they're 10 months or 10 years or 50 years old, we tarmac the road for the kingdom of God coming in their lives through worship, through prophecy, and through prayer. Do not underestimate the power of what comes out of your lips and is addressed towards God. That's how the kingdom of God comes. It's how the kingdom of God came through the prayer of a woman called Hannah and her son became the prophet of Israel. It's how God worked in and through Elizabeth and Mary, and how God used the prayers and the songs and the prophecy of two poor Jewish women to transform not just the people of Israel, but to transform all of history. And you and I are caught up in that wonderful flow of history that is good news for all people and particularly those who are in need. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all you've placed in our hands. Lord, you've given us so much power and influence to be a blessing to other people. Lord, may everything that you've given us be for your kingdom purposes. May everything you've given us be for the blessing of those who are in need. And Lord, today we recognize that we too are people in need, that there are all sorts of need, that today we may feel a relational gap in our lives. We may feel lonely or alone or sick or discouraged or sorrowful. Lord, we thank you that you're the great comforter And you're here this morning to bring healing, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual healing. Lord, you're even here to remind us that in Christ, we are overcomers of death itself. And so, Lord, we pray and we declare hallelujah. Lord, that you have done everything necessary for us to rule with you and reign with you and to live with you forever. In that place where there'll be no sickness and no sorrow and no tears and no hostility and no brokenness in a new heaven and a new earth. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill our mouths with praise and prophecy and prayer that your kingdom may come in ever fuller measure in the lives of this country, in this world, in this church, in this town, and in our families. 
In the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Let's stand together.